appreciate that. I have, um, I have at times become suspicious sometimes of people's motivations. Anyone else ever get suspicious sometimes of people's motivations? Why they're doing something or what they're saying, right? Sometimes you get suspicious of it. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I've changed where I get my oil changed. Because I became suspicious of motivations. Because for, here's how it would go. I would bring my car in to get the oil changed. And I would drive in and they'd take me over to a little room and sit me down in a comfortable chair and give me a cup of coffee. And I'd be there for a little while. And then they'd come out and call my name like I had like a patient in the room or something. And, and you're like, you like, have to do, yeah, that's me. And, you know, walking out, what are they going to have to tell me? So you got to walk out into the OR and, you, and you're there. And, and all of a sudden they start going through all the things that are wrong with my car. They're looking at a screen and saying, well, you didn't do this and this is due. And, and we really have to do this here. And hey, look how dirty this filter is. And, and by the end of their talking, I, I'm thinking, how did I even drive this death trap in here? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm putting myself and my family at risk. And, and you know, that's, the, that's kind of the way you feel, right? Like, I just want, thought I needed an oil change. Who knew? This thing's ready to die on me. But I became suspicious, right, that maybe something else, maybe there's something else going on because, you know, they've got a dog in the fight. They've got, they've got a little motivation for me to fix things while I'm there. So I became suspicious of their motivations, and, and now I get my oil changed someplace else that just changes my oil. It, it happens at times. People come, and we get suspicious. And I, I think of another example of that. I'm from New England. I'm from this area. Those of you that don't know me, I grew up in, in Bill Ricca, and, and so I'm, this is my home area. Uh, but my, uh, my wife's parents, they were living in Texas, and so I go down to Texas, and we go down there to visit, and I'm not used to Southern hospitality. I'm not used to, and I know, those of you in Texas, I know it's not the South. You're in the Southwest, all right. I get it, okay. So I'm not used to Southwest hospitality. Uh, but uh, so I go down and we go to like the grocery store and Wendy and I would go grocery shopping and, and I, you know, we just have a few things and I go to push out the shopping cart and, and the guy that was bagging our groceries takes it from me. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, well, what are you doing? I, I got my own shopping cart. Like I just paid for these groceries. These are mine. And he's like, oh, no, we, we wheel out the shopping carts for you. I'm like, I can wheel my own shopping cart out. Like, what are you after here? What's your angle? You want a tip? He's like, no, we can't even accept tips. I'm like, all right, you can push the shopping cart, I guess, if that's your job. But I just, you know, I get suspicious. I'm like, what's your motivation? Even the whole Southern, like, hospitality, like, I'm not used to it. It takes me, like, three or four days when I'm down there just to get used to it. People just come up to you and start talking to you. Start having a conversation, and I'm like, why, why are we talking again? Remind me, because I don't understand. What's your angle? What are you trying to get? I'm always suspicious, I think, of people's motivations. And at times, I, I think we all, all are. I think we think, why are you doing what you do? What's behind it? What causes you to do it? What drives you to live the way that you live? I mean, it could be something wild, like, you know, there's all kinds of Guinness Book of World Records stuff, like what would drive you to get in a hot air balloon and try and go around the world? Like, I'd like to know what motivation that is. 
or eat so many hot dogs, you know, more than anyone else. Like, what's that motivation? But I also this morning really want to talk about the motivation to live a life as a follower of God, as a Christian. Because if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ and you would call yourself a Christian, you are called to live your life in a certain way. And that way of life may look strange to the world around you. And there may be people that say, why would you live your life that way? Why would you live your life in a certain way? What's your motivation behind that? In fact, in this passage that Pastor Marvin just read, uh, the Apostle Peter says this. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That Christians are called to live what, what the Bible calls holy lives. Peter's writing this passage to first century Christians. I mean, they're early on. Jesus' death and resurrection has just happened less than, you know, certainly less than 100 years, probably less than 50 years ago by the time Peter's writing this. And he's, he's writing to this early church. So they are the minority in the place that they are living. There aren't many followers of Jesus. And they're living in a very different way than the culture around them. So Peter actually says, it describes them as exiles, it's like you're exiles living in a country that's not your home. And you're called to live this life for God, this holy life. And so they're struggling. And some of them are like, why are we doing this? Why are, how, this is hard. And so Peter writes this passage to them, kind of telling them, here's your motivation. And if you're a Christian, sometimes you need to be reminded of what would be your motivation to live the holy life that God has called you to live. But if you're in here this morning and you're a guest and maybe you're not a follower of Christ and you just come because you're invited and it's Easter Sunday, you might look at other people who follow Jesus and you might say, why do you live the life that you live? Why do you live your life that way? Why would you take one of the best days of your week and spend it in a room like this every week? That might be something you would be asking. And some of you who are Christians in here might think, oh, no, they don't think that. Yeah, they think that. Like there's people sitting here going, why would you want to take a chunk of your Sunday and spend it here? What's the motivation? Or Pastor Marvin just talked about giving. Why would you take some of your finances? Why would you take money that you worked hard to earn and give it to a church, give it to God? What would be your motivation in doing that? There are things that Christians do. Christians ought to live lives that make people around them say, why would you live your life that way? I see Jenny Duncan here with us. She didn't know I was going to call her out, but she can take it. <laughs> Jenny Duncan's one of our global outreach partners, Jenny and Dennis. And why would Jenny and Dennis leave comfortable life and live teaching at a university in the area of Philadelphia, comfortable area, and then leave to go to a country where there are very, very, almost no Christians, live as a minority to tell people about Jesus, to live in a very uncomfortable, why would you do that? What would be your motivation 
for doing something like that. It ought to be a question that we would ask, and it ought to be a question we should be able to answer. And Peter answers that question in this passage. And one of the reasons he says this is he says in verse 18, he writes this, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And what Peter says is the reason you would live your life, a holy life, the way God has called you to live, is because your life has been ransomed. Your life has been purchased. What Peter says is you were um, ransomed or redeemed would be another way to say that. It comes from the Greek word lutron, and, and, and to translate lutron, ransom is a good translation, or redeemed is also a good translation. But, but here's what it means. If you're going to redeem something or you're going to be ransomed, what it means is something is being held captive that needs to be delivered. And so what the Christians believe, what we believe, is that uh, we had been held captive well, captive to what? Well, basically captive to death. That, that there was no escape from death, spiritual and physical death and separation from God. And, and there was no real escape from this and we were captive to it. And Peter says, you were ransomed, you were redeemed from that. We don't use the word redemption a lot in our world. In fact, the only place I could really think of where I see the word redemption is at cannonball redemption centers. It's the only place I could really think. That's where I see the word redemption, cannon bottle redemption centers. But that's actually a bit of a misnomer because at a place like that, you're not redeeming the bottle. You're not really redeeming the can. You know what you're redeeming? Yeah, you're redeeming your coin. You're redeeming your coin because what happens in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, whether you know it or not, is every time you buy a bottle or a can... The Commonwealth takes one of your coins and holds it hostage. And it holds on to it until you will redeem it, until you will deliver it at the cost of your can or your bottle. See, redemption is deliverance at a cost. That's what it means to redeem. It means you pay a cost or there's a cost that's paid in order to ransom something back to redeem it, to give it value. And Peter's saying that's what Jesus did for you. It was deliverance from the enemy of death. It was deliverance from this idea that, that you could have no further life. It was deliverance at a cost, deliverance at the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the primary motivation for why Christians live their life the way they live their life. is because we believe that Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. And that changes the way that we live now. The reason that we would even look there is because we believe, I think like most people, that things are not the way they are supposed to be. All of us have an understanding that the world and our lives are are broken to some point and not the way they are supposed to be, we all just look for different ways to have them redeemed. And we can look at the world around us and see school shootings and 
injustices, things that happen in the lives, and we say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But we can also look at our personal lives, our individual lives, and we could say there's brokenness in my life and in my life, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. And we can look at our lives and say, it can't be that, I mean, when we stop for a moment and step back and take that light of existential perspective, we at times would say, how can it be that all of this beauty and goodness, you just die and it's gone? And there's no meaning or purpose or there's got to be more than just my 60, 70, 80 years and then I'm dead and forgotten and gone. Isn't there more to it than that? So we find ways to bring kind of redemption and meaning into our lives. Because we all love a good redemption story. We want to see meaning and purpose and redemption in our lives. We want to see it. We want to see it in our movies. We want to see it in our stories. I remember going to a movie once that I was looking forward to seeing. It, uh, I knew it was coming out. I, I was waiting for it to come out. I went to see it on its opening weekend. And I thought, I had read the book, and I thought, well, it's probably not going to be as good as the book, but I want to go see it. And I went, and actually it was as good as the book. It was one of those ones that they had, it was, it was better than I expected. They had just done an awesome job at it. And I'm sitting there, and the epic music is playing, and the credits are rolling. And I had, I really enjoyed it. And I turned to my sister, who went to the movie with me, and I said, wasn't that, the movie was awesome. Wasn't that great? And I could tell immediately by the look on her face, she disagreed. She had a different opinion. She looked at me and said, that was the worst movie I have ever seen. That was terrible. How could they possibly, why would you end a movie like that? And then it dawned on me. Oh, I know something you don't know. The movie was The Fellowship of the Ring. It was the first of a trilogy of movies <laughs> called The Lord of the Rings. I knew there were two more to come. I didn't know, my sister didn't know there were two more to come. And if you don't know there's two more movies, then The Fellowship of a Ring is an awful movie. <laughs> like, that is the worst ending. Like, this, this is terrible. And I told her, oh, no, no, this is the first. There's two more movies to come. She's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Well, when's the next one come out? In a year. All right, well, that was, that was not comforting. But we, why? Why is that so jarring to us? Because we want a redemption story. We want that. We want it to come to fruition, that justice is met, that good overcomes. We want some meaning and, and something worth. We don't want it just to be about nothing and no meaning and, and no, no real conclusion and, and worth brought to it. We want something more. We long for it in our life. And so we look for ways to do that. In fact, our actions are motivated by what you believe will set things the way they're supposed to be. Our actions are motivated by what you and I often believe what will bring meaning to our lives. So for the Christian, if we believe living for Jesus is going to bring meaning and purpose and, and that's what's going to bring, that's why we live the way we do. But those who might not be Christians, there's things in your life that you might live that all of us at times say, well, look, we look for meaning and purpose in other places to solve it. And so in my little baskets here, because uh, let's just say that, uh, let me just say we're around this time of year, it just 
gives it a good illustration. If, let's just say these eggs represent our, our desire to see redemption, to see meaning and purpose and worth kind of brought into our lives, where we look for it. And, and these baskets represent some of the different places we might, we might look to to find that. Now, none of us are, right, we're not going to put all our eggs in one basket, right? So what are, the, what are the baskets? You know, one of the baskets we might put an egg in might be the basket of possessions. Things we can own, things in our life that, that we buy and we purchase. And you say, no, no, we don't look for meaning in that. I was at the mall last night. It was a, it was a crowded night at the mall last night. And here's what I know. Here's what I realize. I'm sitting in Cafe Nero, which, and you know, watching people walk by, and I'm realizing... No one's in there buying anything they need. There's no one in there. Like, they all look pretty well fed and like they have decent clothes on. No one's in there because I need something right now for my sustenance and living. Most people are there because we want something or something we desire. There are things that we buy that they make us feel good. They give us some mode of... um, maybe value and worth at the time. They make us feel good. They, we know we're, we're mature enough. We're not shallow enough to think they're going to give us ultimate meaning. But we do put maybe one egg in that basket and say maybe that'll, maybe that'll help. Maybe the things I can have, maybe that next house, maybe that next car, maybe that next iPhone, maybe that next whatever. Maybe if I could have that, you know, I would feel content. I would feel like there's... There's, there's purpose. I would feel like I've done something. It's not all uh, possessions, though. If I were going to put the next one, maybe we put an egg in the basket of positions. I positions. Maybe it's, maybe it's that job, that, that position that you've always wanted, that if you could finally, you know, run the company or own the company or have that title in the company, that maybe that would be the thing that would... You know, I'm going to put an egg in that basket. Maybe it's your education level as position. If I can get to that level where I have these letters before my name or those letters after my name, that that would be the thing that might provide the meaning and the purpose and, and kind of the redemption story of my life that this is, there's some worth to it. There's something going on beyond just this time of life before death and then death and it's over. But maybe I, it's not that. I mean, positions and possessions, I mean, that's kind of, you know, those, those maybe seem a little bit shallow. So, so we'll take an egg and we'll put it in the basket of people. I mean, that seems a little more worthwhile. People are more important than things, right? People are more important than, than my position or my job at work, the people we love, the people I love, and the people that love me. Maybe the people that I create some kind of legacy through, my kids or my grandkids. I could live for that, that the world will be a little bit better for them, that something will be great for them, that maybe that's worth living for. Maybe that's the redemption story, that people are what really could bring the meaning and make the difference. I put an egg in that basket. But there's still larger problems that need to be dealt with. And, 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 and so, you know, where do I put my hope in some of the brokenness of this world? Policy. Maybe I'll put an egg in the policy basket. 
We need to change some things about this world because this world's broken. The way things work, justice issues and, and trafficking and abuse. And we, we want to change. If we could change some laws and change some policies, that, that maybe that would bring some redemption and some fix some of the things that we see are captive and that need to be delivered in the world that we live in. I mean, we could add other baskets, and I just couldn't think of any more peas, so I left it with four. <laughs> Although I thought of one. I, I thought pleasure. I could have put the pleasure basket up. We, we could put an egg in the basket of pleasure, right? That, that, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the one that would, would, um, would do it for us. But we have all these things that we look to to kind of solve this feeling that something's wrong in us, that something needs to bring some kind of meaning and worth and something needs to, but they don't, the problem is what Peter's saying in this passage is that these are all efforts that are really, he calls it futile. He says in that verse 18 that you've been redeemed from your futile ways. Ways that you looked to before to bring you ultimate meaning and purpose in life, but they really didn't quite bring you the meaning and purpose you were looking for. Partly because they're temporary. I mean, the possessions, right? And we know that one's an easy one because you've got storage units full of stuff that you thought was going to be the thing. And now it's taking up space and collecting dust. And you're looking for the next thing. And we've got positions that those of you that have been in the workplace long enough know that it's not long before someone else has the office that you wanted. Someone else has the title that you thought was going to bring all of that meaning and purpose. That the positions don't necessarily do it. That you're just temporarily a placeholder until someone else comes along and holds that. It's not the position that does it. I mean, even people, right? I mean, it's what brings a lot of value and meaning to our life. Some of you are sitting in this room because of people this morning. You don't maybe normally go to church. It's not something you would do on a Sunday, but the people you care about care about being in church, and so you come because you care about them. People are important to us. I mean, these aren't bad things, these are things that are important to us, people that we love. But even we find with people that if you live long enough, you're going to outlive most of them, right? I mean, the longer you live, the more goodbyes you say. People aren't forever. And as much as we put our hope and our, and our trust in that, that that's, that's temporary too. I mean, policies, I mean, we've, we've passed policies and We've got a lot of them. We've got more laws than probably any other place around, and we just haven't fixed it, have we? And it still hasn't. still hasn't redeemed the situation. still hasn't made everything better, and the next law is not going to do it either. It's not going to make it all better. It's not going to fix it all. These are the places we look to. The difference, the Christian hasn't solved all these problems. The Christian has just chosen to put eggs in a different basket. I call this the Jesus basket, or someone after the first service said, you could have called it the Pascal lamb, because then you have another P. I suppose I could have the Passover lamb or something, I don't know. 
could have come up with another P, but I'm going to call it the Jesus basket. The Christian is just, if you want to know what motivates the Christian, the Christian is simply the one who said, I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. I'm going to put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. And I'm going to trust that my hope and my, the things I'm ultimately looking for are going to be fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is the redeemer who takes us from where we are to where we need to be. That he's the one that's able to do that. In fact, what the Christian does is actually another step. I would say the Christian says, not only are my eggs in the Jesus basket, all my baskets are in the Jesus basket. That this, is, that this is the life for the Christian. This is the life. That I will take all these things that I look for for meaning and that I look for for purpose and I'll actually put them secondary to Jesus and I'm going to trust him with all of these things because he's the one that brings the ultimate meaning to all of this. That's what motivates the Christian way of life. Verse 13 that Pastor Marvin read there, it says this. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's what I, I like that verse because it's a little bit of a, what I see as a play on words. Set your hope space fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, what I think most of us, or many of us do with this part, is it's hopefully no space. It's just, well, hopefully it brings some meaning. Hopefully it, it solves that kind of hole that maybe I feel. Hopefully it brings some worth to my life. Hopefully there's some redemption that comes from it. But what the Christian does, what the follower of Jesus does is your hope is fully and completely in Jesus alone. And that he and what he did on the cross with his blood shed for you and me, redeemed and ransomed and delivered at a cost our life. And so there's a, there's a push in the past from the motivation that Jesus redeemed us. But then there's also a pull from the future that motivates the Christian. In verse 3 of this same chapter, 1 Peter, Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so this is the pull from the future. This is what Christians celebrate today. If you wonder why we're gathered and why we're so excited, I mean, we're here every Sunday, but this is the Sunday we set aside, especially to remember the events of that weekend of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And the pull from the future is the hope that was secured in the resurrection of Christ, that we will have life long after this life that death has been no, is defeated, that death is no longer uh, simply a period, it's a comma. 
as it's a door that we walk through as we move into the continued life that God offers us. That that last enemy that held us captive has been paid at a cost and we have been delivered from being under that enemy and under that thumb and we now have life after this life. And that's the motivation for the Christian. That's why the Christ follower lives the life that they live. That's why we would give and sacrifice. That's why we worship. That's why we would leave a comfortable situation and go to an uncomfortable situation so that others may know it's in obedience to God to live this holy life because Jesus has redeemed us with his blood and because he has promised us an inheritance in the future. And this is the Christian way of life. I, if, you're, if you're here and you're a Christian, perhaps today uh, what you needed is to be reminded. Reminded that the, the, that the resurrection is our redemption. It's, the resurrection is the, is the evidence of the fact that the cross of Jesus Christ worked, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's no longer in that grave. And that secures our redemption. Jesus' resurrection is your redemption. Maybe you have, are in a situation that is difficult and you feel like an exile yourself. You're in a situation maybe where you feel maybe you're persecuted. Maybe you feel like, wow, this is a hard place to live. You're that minority place where Jesus was writing to these Christians. You say, why, how do I keep going? Peter says, the way you do it is remember that you are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. And remember that you have an inheritance secured by the resurrection of Christ that cannot be taken away from you. That's how you persist. That's how you keep living that holy life God has called you to. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. I hope this maybe provides some answer to the question of why we Christians would live the lives the way that we live them. It's because we have a strong belief that God has paid a price for us with his own blood, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Something far more precious than gold or silver or anything else. That's why money and possessions and positions, we would hold way down the list from how we hold Jesus. So hopefully it gives you a little explanation that we believe that there's something greater that's in heaven than anything that can be offered to us on this earth. And so we would hold all these things loosely. Do we do it perfectly? Nope. <laughs> do we get it wrong? A lot. But that's the life we're endeavoring to live. That's the life we believe God has called us to live. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come back as we close out. I just want to pray as we close out the service today and pray for you. And maybe you're here and I'll pray for you as a Christian because maybe you just need strength to remember why you live the life that God has called you to live. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and this brings a little bit more explanation of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has... He's did this for you, not just for those who call themselves Christians, for you, for everyone who would look for that life. And maybe you would say, yeah, I've looked for the meaning and purpose and redemption in these places, and to be honest, I haven't really found it. I would challenge you or at least encourage you to consider the one who gave his life for you. It's as if you were 
in a restaurant and had a meal. Someone already paid the bill for you. <laughs> hey, you can try and keep paying it out of your own money or you can accept what's been done for you. You can accept that the bill has been paid, that it's been taken care of. Put your hope and your trust in him. I, otherwise, I just, I think you need to consider what, what is it? What is it that I'm hoping in? What, what is it that's going to provide meaning? Isn't there more than simply my few years and then I'm gone and it's over? The Bible would say the reason you even have that nagging question in you is because you were created for more than just 50, 60, 70, or 80 years of life. You were created to live on forever with God. And so there's a desire in each of us that says it can't be just this. There must be something else. And there is. And it's found through Jesus in God, your creator himself. Lord, God, I thank you this morning for every person who's gathered in this room. Those who are here every Sunday and those who are simply here as a guest and came and... Uh, Lord, I thank you for each and every person because you, I believe you created them. I believe you love them. We're made in your image. And I also believe that you sent your son to die for each and every one of us, that we might have life, that we might have that life that you have promised and that we long for, that meaning and that, that purpose that we long for, that we might have it through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for... Those in here who are Christ followers who need an extra measure of strength this week, who are going through a difficult time, who feel like an exile, who just have God feel beaten down or challenged to continue to live the life of holiness that they know they're supposed to live, but is difficult in their own strength. May this morning we be encouraged and, Lord, be filled up and strengthened by the reminder of what you've done for us, that you've redeemed us and what you are holding for us in the future. I pray for those in this room who, Lord, maybe even don't think much about this idea of larger existential meaning and purpose and life and eternal life. And our world is so full of distractions that we don't have a lot of sacred space even to consider those things. I pray for my friends in this room today who may be considering those things or maybe you're tugging on their heart that you would, Lord, just make it clear to them that you love them and that, God, that there is a way to life after this life through Jesus Christ, that you would open up hearts and minds to who you are and your love and what you've done. But the truth is we can't redeem ourselves doesn't work that way. We need someone from outside to pay the price, to free us and deliver us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would understand the way that you've made that possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close out our service with this final song? <clears throat>